Welcome to the Multipurpose Room, a podcast helping school organizations and school administrations achieve their goals. Each episode discusses real-life topics that PTAs, PTOs, and school staff are dealing with. Our hosts and guests offer practical tips, learnings, and best practices to achieve their desired outcomes. And here are your hosts, Wesley and Deborah Jones. Aside from advocacy, fundraising and giving back to students is a big part of what the PTA does. We are all familiar with common fundraising events like the auction, fun runs, and even membership drives. But what about some new ideas? What about injecting some more fun into the fundraiser? Trivia night can be an incredibly successful event. And even better for this crazy school year is that they can easily be modified to be a virtual event. Today, we're fortunate enough to have Matt Hammond, CEO and founder of a successful trivia night company, Hambones Trivia. Matt's going to offer us some practical tips on planning a trivia night, talk about how to maximize fundraising, and even share questions that you might not think to but should ask of any trivia night provider. Welcome, Matt, and thanks for being here. Yeah, welcome, Matt. Hey, thank you, guys. Very good to be with you. So tell us a little bit about the origin story of Hambones Trivia and a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I did a lot of my growing up in Indianapolis, Indiana, which is where I live now and which is where Hambones Trivia is headquartered, although that means less than it used to. And I, I was an attorney. I practiced law. I was a lobbyist. I ran political campaigns. And when the first iPhone came out, I was just so mesmerized by the weather app. It's hard to remember how like revolutionary the things like the weather app were. But we would go across the street to a bar and I would plug in 10 cities in my weather app and I would have everyone at the bar. They'd all throw in $5 and I'd say, okay, what? I'd name the 10 cities, London, Moscow, Johannesburg. And you had to name the temperature there right now. And whoever was closest cumulatively to the 10 got everybody's five bucks. People loved the weather game. And then a few months later, I was like, I think I could do more than the weather game. <laughs> and so I started writing trivia questions and people started playing. And then we were awarded best trivia in Indianapolis. And people started asking if I would host trivia events or come to their bar on a weekly basis. And almost always I said no, because I had a full-time job that was keeping me very busy, albeit not very happy. As I started to realize that like, Corporate law and politics probably were not my calling. Once a year, I was hosting big events or fundraisers for friends. And then I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to give this a go and see if it works. And it worked. We started off at one bar and within a few months, we were at four. And then it was just growing. And the event side and corporate private parties and fundraisers all is just kind of really taken off. So that's the story of Hambone's from the time of its creation until COVID. And so how do you work with schools with Hambones Trivia? Sure. So prior to COVID, what we would do is we would go into obviously central Indiana. It's not just Indianapolis, but it's just, you know, Indiana in general. We would work with schools to plan big events. And there would be picture of the gymnasium or cafeteria or some sort of conference room, or sometimes we'd be off-site, and just picture a room full of sometimes really nicely decorated round tables fit for eight to ten people, 
and sometimes really crazily festive decorated or sometimes just like a blank canvas. And then the parents would arrive starting 45 minutes before the event would kick off and they would be decorating their own tables, competing for best theme for the trivia team. And the school would charge some amount of money per player or per team. And then depending on how much they charged and if they were able to secure sponsorship for either the entire night or on a round-to-round basis, we would do it in conjunction with a silent auction. I've actually kind of like spun off of this random side gig as an auctioneer for some of these schools because of I practiced my auctioneering voice and like, could you just come back and run our live auction? So that's happened a few times. But we have all these supplemental games that add to your bottom line. It's not just the trivia ticket, plus the sponsorship piece is probably the biggest piece. And what's so great, other than, you know, our biggest selling point is the experience that people have, the fact that it's a turnkey fundraiser. You do, like, all you do is find sponsors and you find players to play. And we really handle everything else, especially virtually. And so, It's very easy on the school setup side. It's almost surreal how easy it is. And then the other big draw that a Hambones event has, the following year it's even easier because everyone's played and they know it's a good time and they know it's not a boring fundraiser or a typical trivia night. It's a lot of fun, highly interactive. There's a a lot of energy in the room or on the screen. And, and so by the second and third time, these things are selling out months before the event even starts. So it makes your job even easier because you don't have to, you know, the first ones, like all school fundraisers, you really got to kind of pound the pavement and get people to sign up and sponsor and everything like that. But once they experience one, one of the asks I always recommend schools make to their participants is, would you mind being a, a team captain next year and bringing your own team instead of, playing with the team that you came with this year. And that's just really, I mean, they just grow exponentially. So it's, it's been uh, it's been a great experience working with schools and we've raised an awful lot of money for an awful lot of schools. And now we do it virtually, which is even easier. Well, you know what, honestly, it sounds fun already. <laughs> just from what we've talked about, I already want to play the weather game. Yeah, the weather game's fun. Yeah, you kind of mentioned and talked about, uh, you know, people having fun at these events. But what is a like if you're looking at it at the end of the night, what does a successful event look like? Sure. So the answer to your question, Wes, is there's really two different questions because we're dealing with two types of events. Right now, I would say 95 to 98 percent of my work is done virtually. And sometimes that means I'm in a living room, my living room or my office at home which has turned into a YouTube studio. And I've got to really make this a fun environment for people playing in their own living room. And the second type of event, which hopefully will be back sooner than we can contemplate, is a live event, which is happening, as I said, in a gymnasium or cafeteria or some other large space. But there are some common themes between the success of either event. One, obviously, organization and that's really on me, making sure that I've made the event exactly what the school's looking for. We've done enough of these now where we know what they should be looking for, even if they're not. But 
in-person events, I always had told everyone, listen, the best events are basically tailgate parties, right? They're people coming in dressed up how they want to, whether it's just jeans and a shirt, or it's we're dressed up as characters from The Office or characters from Harry Potter or sports legends or whatever it is. And making it a everyone bringing their own food and their own drinks. You know, a lot of times people kind of want a buffet or we're going to actually serve you dinner. And those are great and they work well and they work even better for certain events. But for schools, my biggest and most exciting school events are basically tailgate parties where people are drinking their own drinks, they're eating their own food, they're walking around, talking to their friends. And trivia, just really interesting trivia happens to be part of this night and they just get really into it. So how that converts to a virtual event is each team always has a team captain. And one of the two responsibilities of that team captain is organize how your team is going to collaborate. Are you guys going to be on Zoom? Are you going to be on Google Hangouts? Are you going to be on FaceTime? Or is everybody going to be in your backyard or front porch, right? And if Everyone on your team is going to be together. Do you have space for another team in your neighborhood as well? And then you've sort of recreated this exciting, energetic tailgate atmosphere right there at your house. So we've got all these parties going on within the school community, you know, at 9, 10, 15 different houses. And there can be up to three or four teams at each house. It's actually works well. They share their pictures. It cross-promotes the social media, the energy on social media, and people are like, oh, my gosh, you know, that's why we didn't win Best Costume because look at the Millers and how crazy they got decked out. And So energy, excitement, willing to just sort of, I don't know if sell out is the right word, but it's the word I'm going to use, and just really making it a fun event where you're just going to have a really good time for the night, and it's going to be a party. And that's always what works best. Yeah, so it sounds like high engagement by the families, the participants is one key element. But you also mentioned interesting trivia. I'm sure there are a dozen ways to go about creating interesting trivia. But in your opinion, what makes for a good trivia question? And on the flip side, what's a bad one? Sure. So I'll start with what's a bad one. The worst trivia question by far, which is also the easiest to write, is one that is very difficult, too difficult. And it's one where you read it or you hear it or you see it and you know immediately, I have no idea what that trivia question is. Not only do I have no idea what the answer is, I know for certain I will never know the answer. And I will never be able to in any way engage in a conversation that would lead us to the right answer. Only slightly better than that is one that's too easy, right? What football team in California has red, gold, and white as its primary colors? That is just a throwaway question that everyone who cares about football immediately knows, right? And so the trick is to get right there in the middle. And so what I do is I always say I write my trivia questions to require reason, not recall. So you hear it, and you don't know the answer right away. You don't write it off right away. You don't. All you know is, I've got a team, and I bet 60 seconds 
two minutes, if we all just bounce some ideas off of each other, we're going to at least have a really good guess. And there are topics that are that sort of bridge the gap demographically and age range. You can't ask all questions about 1960s rock and roll, and you can't ask all questions about social media, and you can't ask all your questions about the Civil War, because you can ask one maybe about some of those topics, but you've got to really think about what sort of unites this audience. And I'm, whenever I host a school fundraiser or any event, I'm always very interested in the interest of and the demographics of the audience, what they care about, what age, where, you know, I think about all those things. But in general, there's things like food and drink and board games and movies, classic sort of huge movies and the planet Earth, those things, dogs, like things that you may not have a passion for, but you know enough about those topics with the kind of questions that I'm asking where you're like, okay, I can definitely participate in this conversation. I'm not going to feel dumb. That's a huge part of what I think really bad trivias do is they just make people feel insecure because they're like, gosh, should I know who wrote this book back in the 1830s? I don't know who wrote that. I never read that book, right? I don't think I'm stupid, but should I know more about the war of 1812? <laughs> you know, that's not my trivia. My trivia is, I'm going to take experiences from your everyday life and things that you think you know, I'm going to dive in just one level deeper and you're going to have a great conversation about the question. And that's what I think is the real recipe, which is not easy at all to do, but that's how to do it. Well, it sounds like that really accounts for differences in player skills and different demographics, which is really helpful but how do you monitor cheating? I mean, you mentioned the weather app, right? If somebody had been sitting next to you with a weather app as well, they could have easily sure. jumped on and said, it's 55 degrees in California, San Francisco, California. Right. So how do you monitor cheating, right. especially now that people are online? Yeah, so online, it's difficult. I will be candid. I know when it's happening, basically because I ask two different kinds of questions. I ask a kind of question where I'm very careful to cite, say, in a recent Time Magazine article or according to National Geographic, right? And so right away, if you are determined to cheat, you can just say National Geographic and then type in the rest of my question. And if you've got long enough and not enough shame, you would be able to find the answer to my question. And that's what I would consider a Googleable answer or question. And then I ask other questions that you cannot Google. There's, there's just not out there, right? So it, it would be something that I, I mean, I, the amount of reference books and magazines or trade magazines that I have. And so I'll be asking about results of a Gallup poll that you would have to have a paid membership to the Gallup site to, to have Ah, sounds and like you're, if you're, you're keeping if, them if, on your toes, huh? <laughs> right. And so if you are getting the questions right that you can Google and the questions wrong that you can't, then you're cheating, right? If you're 10 for 10 on one side and 0 for 10 on the other, then you're not good at trivia and you're cheating 
And that's why you're doing good on these. So I know right away, okay, this team's cheating, right? You know, I have a picture round and I'll say, name that movie or name that U.S. city or whatever. And if you're answering really crazy trivia questions about movies and you're getting it right because you Googled it, but you can't identify Godfather in a picture, then I'm like, okay, well, they're cheating. So what I do usually is I'll inflate everyone else's score. I'll make a mark to myself that I know this team's cheating. And if you're cheating, you're probably keeping track of your points. So your points are what they should be or what you think they should be, but everyone else's points have been inflated. So you don't know why you're not in first place, but you know that you're not. But your points make sense. And really, we just don't incentivize teams to cheat. If I think you're cheating, I'll talk to the event organizer and I'll just be like, okay. I'm happy to say that this team's in the lead. Let me just tell you, this team is definitely cheating. In person, it's way different. It's way easier, way easier to identify and to do something about it in person. And I never, ever embarrass anyone or be like, hey, you're cheating. You're kicked out of here. I do that at my game, but not a school fundraiser. Yeah, that seems to make sense. So at school fundraisers in particular, how are they managing fundraising on a trivia night? What are the different ways that they can fundraise? Sure. The most obvious one is your ticket to play, whether it's a team table ticket or individual or couple ticket, right? So schools might charge $5 per player or they might charge 500 per team. And you might be on either side of that. You probably are in the middle. But depending on the school, that's the most obvious way to raise money. Secondly, easily more important is sponsorship, whether we've got a presenting sponsor this is Jackson Elementary Trivia Night brought to you by Chase Bank, right? And then round one is brought to you by Crew Car Wash. And every round will have a sponsor and those sponsors. The virtual visibility that sponsors get is more than they get in person. So their logo's on the screen. Their logo's on the answer sheet. I'll do an ad read for them. I can split the screen with an employee or a spokesperson for that sponsor. We can do anything you want. We can play a commercial literally in the middle of our virtual event. In a live event, they can come up, they can give a quick thank you. Here's who we are. Here's what we do. And we'll have their logo on the projected questions at the live event. And their logo will be on the paper answer sheet. So that's the biggest piece of the pie. And certainly the two biggest pieces of the pie are the tickets and the sponsorship. But there's also supplemental games that we do where we'll auction off a local celebrity, whether it's the principal or a popular teacher or a famous graduate or a local news person or whatever who, you know, someone had a connection with. I'll load that person up with answers. We will auction that person off. And it's way more about the excitement of spending 15 minutes for a round of trivia with that person on your team, whether they're sitting at your table or whether they're joining your Zoom, than it is about that person having the answers, although they do have the answers. So that's a supplemental game that we do. We do another game. Everyone always wants heads or tails, but I've made it like a trivia version of heads or tails where I'll call Deborah, for instance, I would call you up to the stage and I would say, I'm getting ready to ask Deborah a series of questions that all have numbers as an answer. And uh, everyone who's paid $25 to play as an individual, it's an individual game, it's not a team-based game, you'll either put your thumbs up for I did 
think Deborah's answer is the real answer is higher than what she said or your thumb down because I think the real answer is lower than what she said. So I'd say to you, how many inches tall is a Barbie doll? Or how many spots are on the Wheel of Fortune? Or what's the all-time high temperature in Antarctica, right? Or how many Division One football teams are there in the state of California? And if they guess wrong, they're out and they sit down. If they guess right, they survive and advance to the next question. And we go until the whole room is cleared except for one person. And believe it or not, that takes less than five minutes. And people play, you know, sometimes they charge $5 a head. Sometimes they charge $25 or $30 a head to play that game. That's a supplemental game. We sell hints for $25 or $50. And so between all of that, you've got yourself a very, very successful fundraiser. Those are some really great suggestions. And California, surprisingly, seems to have 11 D1 football teams. I didn't think it would be that many. (laughs) So let's say you're a PTA leader or a school looking to plan a trivia night yourself, DIY style. What would be the steps for doing that? If you're doing it yourself, you need to have one person in charge of the question, the, the trivia. You need to have everyone else in charge of either recruiting people to, to sit in seats and play, sponsorship, what's the room going to look like, what's the flow of the night, how are we going to get these questions in front of these faces? If it's a live event, are we projecting? Do we have the projector and the screen? How is this party going to be set up? If it's a virtual event, there's a whole new slew of questions that you would need to ask. And then the person in charge of questions needs to write two questions at least for every one that they're eventually going to use. And then they need to ask, that person needs to ask any friend or family that they can get a hold of, is this an interesting question? And if they hesitate, that needs to be thrown out. And if they say, no, that's actually really interesting. And I'd like to think about that. What's the answer to that? Like, that's really the key. If, if people are like, wait a second, don't tell me, I want to know. And then if they start guessing, you've got a great trivia question at that point. And then once you have a final set, you probably need to make it 50% easier than it already is because it's too easy to make a hard trivia question. And then it would be almost impossible to do a do-it-yourself virtual trivia event. There's just too much going on on the back end. It wouldn't be worth the man hours to try to figure it out, how to do it yourself. In person, you'll need two scores, volunteer scores for every 10 to 15 teams. And you just need to figure out how are we collecting money? What kind of supplemental games are we offering? How do we tell people where to sit? How do we know which table's which? How do we label these tables? Are we giving out prizes for the winning team, the top three teams, the funniest answer, the best team name, the best table decorations? All those things are questions you might ask yourself and sort of responsibilities you might divvy out. But of course, I would be remiss if I didn't just say, Call someone who's done it a lot of times and ask them what to do or pay them to do it for you. Well, so let's say we are doing that instead and we are going to pay somebody to run the trivia night for us as a PTA leader. When we're interviewing potential companies to do that, what questions should we ask? 
Yeah. So if it's a virtual event, I would say, can you provide a link or two or more for me to see how the flow of your trivia works? I would always ask, give me some questions that you would ask in an event like ours. I would always say, if our event starts at 6 p.m. on the nose, hypothetically, because it won't, but let's just say that we actually ask our first trivia question at 6 p.m., at what time are you announcing the winner? And if they're like unsure of that and can't give you like a 10 minute exact window, then you're going to be playing trivia for a very long time. And no one wants to play trivia for three hours. But these events, especially if you've got so many people walking up, saying a few words at the podium. Now, and now I'd like to introduce assistant principal Adams who wants to talk about this and that. Uh, if there's no one there to corral that, and then on top of that, they're asking questions, and then on top of that, they're not really sort of aggressively hustling to get answers in at a, a, some exact moment, the night's going to get away from you very quickly. Your one trivia event, if you've got one and you don't care, you've already raised the money and whatever. But if you want this to be something that people enjoy, that they want to come back and play your two, three, four, and beyond, uh, then those are all very important questions. That's all information that you need to know from whoever you're thinking about hiring. Okay, Matt, so uh, to kind of round this all out, what is your most memorable school trivia night moment? <laughs> That's actually easy for me to answer. And I've had some incredible ones. As far as events go, I've had some really memorable events, but easily, and I would be in a lot of trouble if I didn't say it, and it happens to be true, meeting my wife at a school fundraiser trivia event takes the cake. That I don't yeah. think anybody can top that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's number one go. by far. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, today we've learned that we need to follow the Goldilocks principle with questions. Not too hard, not too easy, but just right there in the middle. With fundraising, there's many ways to drive fundraising out of a trivia night, including tickets, sponsorships for the night or by round, a lot of supplemental games, including I really liked that thumbs up, thumbs down game that you mentioned, and then just making ask at the event. And then finally, if you're having someone host your event, don't forget to ask to see sample videos, sample questions, and ask about timing. When are they going to be announcing the winner and make sure that there is a plan for the evening when you're meeting with a potential provider. Matt, thanks so much for being here today. We really appreciate your wisdom. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Deborah. Thanks, Wes. I appreciate your thoughtful question. I had a great time. Yeah, and we'll see you on the next trivia night, right? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, guys. Make sure to visit our website at themultipurposeroom.school and subscribe to this show. If you like the topics on the show, we share additional resources on our company blog at k12clothing.com and click on blog. Thanks to Squad Locker for making this show possible. And we'll see you next week in the multi-purpose room.